0: Welcome out to River Ridge. Good being with you guys this morning. Um, I mean, before we get started, how about last week at Easter at the Park? Those were there. Well, that, that was amazing. It, it, it's been such a, a long and hard year, and to be able to to gather together in public in the park and just see wave after wave of folks coming together. That's going to be an Easter that I'll never forget. Uh, to be able to, to really gather together and to show uh, our community the church being the church. Well, we are beginning a new series called We Are the Church, where we are going to be going through the book of Acts. The, the book of Acts is one that gives us the, the beginning and the start of the first church. And for me, I love how this flows out of where we've been in our teaching series over the past several weeks. Uh, our last series was on the role and the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we spent about four weeks talking about who he is and what he wants to be in our lives. And last week, we talked about the resurrection. We celebrated the resurrection of, of Jesus. And now we start in the book of Acts, and it picks up right after the resurrection of Jesus, and it describes what happens when the Holy Spirit goes and launches the first church. I don't know what comes to mind for you or, or what emotion comes in, in your, into your life or into your body when you hear the word Church. But my guess is that it is a long way off from what came to mind and what the first believers felt when they heard the word church, what it meant to them. You see, over the centuries, our understanding of this word church has been morphed into thinking primarily about a religious service that we attend or a building or an institution or a hierarchy. But that is not what the first believers thought about when they heard the word church. And that is not God's intent. So what we're going to do is spend some time in this great book of the Bible that gives the historical record of the first couple of decades of the launch of the first church. And we're going to explore how God worked in their midst in the city of Jerusalem. And along the way, we're going to discover what God's intent and purpose is for us and what role he wants us to play in his church today. So we're going to cover a lot of ground today. I want to set the stage for opening day of the church. Uh, the, the book of Acts, just to give you a little bit of context, the book of Acts is actually the second half of Luke's gospel. And it picks up right after the resurrection. So after Jesus rises from the, from the grave, he spends about 40 days with the followers, with the disciples that are around him, proving to them that he was, in fact, back to life, that he had defeated death. And then after 40 days he gathers them together on a hillside and he gives them his final instructions before he ascends into heaven. In Matthew, we call this the great commission. And there is a version of this great commission in the book of Acts. And this is where Jesus gives them his final instructions and he predicts the launch of the church. So right before he ascends into heaven, he gathers about 120 people and he tells them this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, for these first disciples, in their minds, they were still thinking that Jesus was starting a kingdom, an earthly kingdom. So when they hear that they're going to have power, their ears kind of perk up. I'm like, okay, what, what am I supposed to do with this special power? And Jesus says, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He says that you're to be my witnesses, And that Greek word means the same thing that comes to mind when you think about a witness in a courtroom. It is is describing someone who will testify to something. Somebody who can give an accurate representation of what a person did or what they said. Now pause for a second and put yourself in the shoes of these disciples. If you're one of these disciples, you're standing with a man that Rome just killed. And that the religious leaders who had all kinds of sway in the city of Jerusalem, they hated him and they plotted to have him killed. So here you are, a little more than 100 people gathered and Jesus says, okay, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna take my message and you're gonna take my teaching and you're gonna take the fact that you are eyewitnesses of my death and my resurrection and you're gonna start here in Jerusalem. And then you're gonna take this message, you're gonna spread out into Judea to people that are like you. And and then it's gonna move into Samaria, people that you don't even like. And this message is gonna extend out to the ends of the earth, to places that you've never even heard of or don't even know exist. And this is exactly what happened. We are gathering this morning as a fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy about the reach and the impact of his message of grace and the eyewitness accounts of his resurrection. If you're taking notes, I think for us to understand that the church is a movement with a mission. The the church at its inception was not a place to attend. It was not a religious service to, to, to take in, but it was a movement to belong to. It was a movement, a gathering of God's people built around this message. Before there were buildings, before there were Bibles, before there were denominations or church staff, the church began based on eyewitness accounts an event in history. It was the resurrection of Jesus that proved to these first century believers that Jesus was who he said he was. That he was, in fact, the Savior of the world. And they were captured by this conviction that Jesus' death really was their death. That that his death was a substitute for theirs. That he wasn't just another prophet. He wasn't just a, a great teacher. But he was God Himself on a rescue mission. You see, they they saw him die with their own eyes and they saw him walk again with their own eyes. And they understood that because of that, that this was the greatest act of grace and mercy ever imagined. That that God, the, the creator of the universe, died for his rebellious children. And Jesus tells them, in light of what you've witnessed, and equipped with this message of amazing grace, I want you to move out. I want you to move out of your comfort zones. And I want you to touch every single part of the world and tell them what you saw. And tell them what that means. And then Jesus left. He, he ascends into heaven and never had a more important mission been given to a less qualified group of people in the history of mankind So this little band of a hundred-ish disciples went back into Jerusalem, and they gathered together, and they started to pray, and they started to meet together, and they started to wait together for this promise, this Holy Spirit to come into their lives. And then 10 days later, something amazing happened during the, the festival of Pentecost, Now this was a huge festival in Jerusalem and and the city is packed with Jewish believers from all over the known world. There are over dozens of nationalities and cultures all around the Mediterranean basin. They they had gathered together in Jerusalem to celebrate this Jewish festival called Pentecost. And then the Holy Spirit showed up in a powerful way. And, And the way that the power settled into their lives is that they were able to speak different languages. Of all these different people that are gathered in Jerusalem on this particular day for this particular festival. It, it was almost like God knew this was going to happen. So he sends the Holy Spirit at just the right time and now these disciples who are not known for their, for their boldness, for their spines of steel, now all of a sudden, they aren't afraid of anything. And they're boldly walking around making these claims and telling their eyewitness accounts of Jesus to everyone in the known world at the time, just as Jesus predicted and the people are curious how is it that these uneducated galileans are speaking in my language and what is this mysterious message of this jesus of nazareth who died and rose again what what does this mean and peter stands up and decides it's time for the very first sermon in the church and he basically goes through the reason for jesus crucifixion and their role in it and the resurrection of jesus afterwards I think it's worth noting that that when Peter stands up and he gives this sermon, he is talking about very recent history. We're not even two months after the resurrection, after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. So when he says Jesus of Nazareth, there'd be a lot of the people in Jerusalem that wouldn't know that name. They would have been in part of the crowd and and heard some of his teaching, or, or they may have known a friend or a family member who was actually healed by Jesus. And then he preaches to them the gospel of the death and the resurrection. And Peter's saying, these proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was who he said he was, that he was the son of God, that that he is the long-awaited Messiah, that he is the savior of the world. And a hush fell over the crowd until somebody cried out, what shall we do? They wanna know, what do we do with this information? We hear what you're saying, and if that's true, then what is it that we're supposed to do with this? They are asking the single most important question a person could ever ask. What does God require of me? What do I do with this Jesus? And Peter replies, attend church more faithfully. Just work harder at being good. That's what God requires of you. No, Peter doesn't say that. He says this in verse 38. He says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. He says three things. He says repent. It means to change your mind and to change the direction of your life, to change your mind, to understand, to really believe that Jesus is the son of God. And then to change the direction of your life, to to live in obedience to what God says. And then he says to be baptized. Baptism is this outward demonstration of faith and obedience. It's this public sign to all who are watching that I was Dead in my rebellion against God, that I am buried in the water, but I've been given new life in Christ. And then there's this promise. He says that, that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We talked about this in the last series, but, but God gives us this gift of the Holy Spirit to, to be our guide and our helper and our counselor as we walk through this earthly life. And then he says that this is not just for those that are in attendance that day, but it's also for those That are far off. Do you know who those people are that are far off that Peter's talking about? It's you, it's me, it's our children, it's our grandchildren. Peter is telling them what is beginning today. This movement that is beginning today will continue and to reach out to those that are far off geographically, but also those that are far off chronologically. That this generation that hears this message may die but the momentum of today will continue to be here Peter is saying that this generation you may die but the movement and the mission and the message of the church will never die it is for all and it is for all time and then Luke records that on opening day of the first Baptist church of Jerusalem there were 3,000 people that believed and were baptized 3,000 people and and don't miss this, 3,000 people who had the ability if they wanted to to say, hey guys, time out, time out. Follow me crowd, I I can show you the body of Jesus. In the same city where Jesus was crucified, in the same city where Jesus rose from the dead, over 3,000 people said, we believe that Jesus is the son of God. And they joined the church on day one. So now here's a little math for you. We had 120 people, 3,000 got added to one day one. So there's 3,120 people that are part of the church in Jerusalem. And then depending on what source that you use, there are roughly 2 billion Christians in the world today. So that begs the question, how did that happen? How did the message of Jesus get outside of Jerusalem and go from roughly 3,000 people to 2 billion People, what led to that kind of spiritual and numerical multiplication over the centuries? Well, what Luke describes next is what this community, this gathering of ordinary men and women, what they did together, what, what, what their priorities were, what their values were. And these same practices and these same priorities are still today what leads to spiritual and numerical multiplication inside of the church. Let's read what Luke says that they did. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and the signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They even sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added daily to their number, daily, those who were being saved. Luke says that that this gathering, these ordinary people were devoted. And that word devoted implies that that they had some absolute priorities in their life, that they didn't make excuses over some of these things, That it implies a discipline and it implies a perseverance even through difficulty. And these three practices that they did, they continue to be simple and repeatable and and fruitful disciplines in the life of any healthy church and in the life of any follower of Jesus. So as we go through what this first church did, I want us to also ask the question, is this also true of my life? Because these are applicable in our life and bring the kind of fruit that we saw in the first church. The first thing it says is that they had a devotion to God's word, that they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. They, these young believers, they didn't know anything about anything. And so they were were hungry to learn and they wanted to know more about Jesus's teaching and, and how that applied to their lives. So they put themselves under the apostles' teaching as often as they could. They were devoted to learning and applying God's word in their lives. So that begs the question for us, is that also true of you? Are you devoted to God's word? There really isn't a shortcut of getting around having a devotion to God's word if you really wanna be a follower of Jesus. So as you look at your life, Is it a priority? Do you have a regular time where you spend in God's word listening to what he has to say beyond just coming here on Sunday morning? Do you spend 10 or 15 minutes getting before God and getting God's word into your life and not just reading it, but applying it? A significant part, and maybe I would say probably the keystone habit of growing as a believer is having this hunger and this desire to learn from scripture devotion to god's word means that that we are coming to god's word with humility that that we are placing ourselves under the authority of god's word and and with this heart that is committed to changing to what god says is right and true and good for us that, that if my life isn't lined up with Scripture, then I'm going to make the changes necessary to align my life with what God says is right. One of the things that we're really excited about as part of this series is that we're going to have the opportunity to read through the, the book of Acts together. Uh, out in the lobby, there are some reading plans if you have, if you haven't grabbed one yet, or it'll also be posted online as well. And, but the reason for this reading plan is a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that we won't cover every passage and every verse that's found in the book of Acts. So it's gonna allow you the opportunity to see for yourself how it was that God moved in the lives of these ordinary people to begin and establish his church. But then secondly, it's that you would use this time to grow in this habit of having a devotion to God's word and to develop this life-changing practice of putting yourself daily under the authority of scripture and seeing how it applies to your life. One of the things that I've done over the years is to, uh, to use this acronym called SPEC, to, to find how it is that God's word can um, apply to my life. So a, as you read through a passage of scripture, you just ask a series of questions. Is, is what I read, is inside of this passage, is there a sin in my life that I need to confess? Is there something that God says is not right that I'm currently doing? Is there a promise to claim? As you read through scripture, there are all these promises of God and sometimes we need to be reminded of some of those promises of God. So is there a promise to claim? Is there an example to follow or to avoid? As as we read through some of the narratives and some of the descriptions of of, of the people of the Bible, how does that apply to my life? Is there a command to obey? Sometimes it's black and white and I just need to make sure that I'm placing myself under the authority of it. Or is there some kind of knowledge of God that I need to attain or to adore? I think over the next uh, eight weeks, if you were to use this and overlay that in your reading plan, I think that you would see just how full of life and application the Bible really is to your daily life. These early followers of Jesus, they, they were serious about learning and submitting to the word of God in their lives. And Luke says another practice that they had that there was a devotion to each other. It says they, they devoted themselves to fellowship. The, the early church had this really deep connection and deep commitment to each other's good. There was a, a togetherness. That it, as you read through that passage in Acts 2, 42 through 47, over and over again, you see this word together, that they were together in all aspects of life as they sought to live out this Christian faith. And Luke says that they shared everything in common, that that they sold their possessions to meet the needs of others. In that first church, there were no classes of people. There were no statuses or or cliques in the early church. As they walked through their daily lives together, and as a need became apparent, that they saw that as an opportunity to, to bless others with what God had blessed them. They were so freed up from their possessions that they just walked through life with an open hand and they lived generously with all that they had and they were gladly and they were willingly sacrificing for each other. And they took the time and everybody discovered that this spirit that empowered them had also gifted them and they just became like servants to each other they, they were like Jesus. They, they had this servant's towel draped over their arm and they just said, I'll just serve. Whatever need that you have, I'll serve because they were for each other's good. They went through life together and, and they spent time together. And it says specifically that they spent time in each other's homes. And Luke records that they would have these meals together and they ate together with glad and with sincere hearts. And that word sincere means that they took off their masks. They 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 stopped pretending like they had life all figured out. And they just were talked openly. And and they talked honestly that there's this vulnerability within them. And they would talk about the temptations of life. And they would talk about the hardships and the struggles that they had with their sins. And and yet they felt accepted. And they felt loved and they spoke truth to each other and they received it because they knew that they were for each other's good. They were devoted to each other by, by meeting in these small groups in people's homes and that, that's us. We, we gather here on Sunday mornings in this big group and then we have small groups throughout the week and it's in these home groups, these men's groups and women's groups where we are known and accepted, where we are prayed for, where we are Supported where we serve each other and we meet each other's needs as we walk through this life together. I've had conversations over the years and some push back and say, well, you know, I, I just don't get much out of small group. The point isn't how much you get out of it, but how much you are giving to it. The early church says it says that they were devoted to each other. They made it a point to serve each other. It, and here's the irony, I think uh, the irony is, is that you will only start to get out of your Christian faith once you start giving to it. But once you start giving and serving others is when you start looking more like Jesus and you begin to get more and more out of this Christian walk. So do you have that kind of community in your life? Do, do you have that kind of fellowship in your life? Are you opening up yourself to others and are you investing in others? Do you have a community around you that knows you, that, that really knows you, and that is actively sacrificing for your good? The last practice that they had is that they had a devotion to God's presence. It says they, they, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. But, They came together regularly, and they actually came expecting to meet with God through communion, through this breaking of bread, and through prayer. Communion is this ancient Christian practice that Jesus put into place where it brings us into the presence of God. And during communion, during the breaking of bread and the drinking of the juice, we acknowledge that our standing with God is not built on ourselves or our actions or our goodness, none of that. But we are reminded that it's built on Jesus's sacrificial death. And so these, these early believers were devoted to taking communion together and they were constantly being reminded of their complete and utter dependence on God's mercy and God's grace in their lives. And then they expected to meet with God in prayer. They, they recognized that this mission, this movement that they were a part of required prayer, that, that they, there's no way that they could ever do what God called them to do without God showing up and moving. I, I think sometimes we walk through this life and, and even embrace this mission that God has given us as believers, thinking that we can do it out of our own power, or, or, thinking, or, or not thinking about the weight and the responsibility that God has put on our shoulders. And so sometimes we, our lives, our, our Christian walks are, are more um, marked by prayerlessness than anything else. And I would say that prayerlessness is, is always a sign that we have lost touch on just how dependent we are on the role of the Spirit in our lives to accomplish the mission that God has given us. When they gathered together for corporate worship, they actually came expecting God's presence among them and they came prayed up, and they came ready to hear from God. They came to meet with God. Is your life marked by that same kind of devotion? Is your life marked by a devotion to be in the presence of God? When you come here on a Sunday morning or when you gather uh, with your small group, are are you coming expecting to meet with God? Do do you come with, with a sense of openness and anticipation? Do you come with a heart that's already filled with joy and worship and gladness at the goodness of God in your life so that when you come in here, it's so easy to worship this good God that's given you so much? The lives of these early followers of Jesus, they were radically changed as they devoted themselves to these three practices, these three priorities, their devotion to hearing and applying God's word in their life a devotion to each other's good, and this devotion to remain in the presence of God, it it changed their lives, and it changed the way that they loved and the way that they interacted with the community that was surrounding them. And their lives were marked by this idea of, they, they were praising God wherever they went, and they were enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added daily to their number, daily, those who were being saved. They they were changed by the gospel, and they were gripped by this mission that they couldn't help but live differently. They couldn't help but, but love differently. And as they remained devoted to these practices, it began to align their hearts with the heartbeat of God. This mission to take this message to those that are far away and their love for God and their love for each other, and their love for the outsider, it literally changed the world. And the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. Since day one, since opening day of the church, the mission of God's church has remained the same. God did amazing things as he worked with this group of ordinary men and women who were captivated and gripped by the message of Jesus' grace, of these eyewitness accounts of a man who was dead, who raised to life, and he claimed to be God and to forgive. And this group of people that were yielded to the Spirit in their lives. And here's the good news. It happened before, and it can happen again today as we seek to reach our community and go outside of our walls. Let me pray for us. God, may we be that kind of church. May we be the kind of people that live in this daily surrender, in this devotion to your word. God, I pray that you would give us the boldness to, to really come before you and to place ourselves under the authority of Scripture, to, to use it as a mirror. And if there are things in our lives that are out of alignment with what you say is right, that we would make those changes. And God give us a, a devotion to each other, to live selflessly, to, to serve sacrificially each other, to to let the outside world look in and see. Love and acceptance and change and growth and God may we have a hunger to always be in your presence I pray that you would continue to use us to move your message of hope to move your your message of grace and forgiveness to those that are still far off. God, give us a heart that beats for the lost. It's in Jesus' name we pray.